Marcus, you like movies? Yes, I do. I like movies, too. This is Zebras in America podcast. This is a very special episode. You want to know why? Why? Because we're about to uh, come out with our new weed oil, Black and White Midnight Delight. Okay. You know? Is it organic? <laughs> it's, it's, it's so organic. Okay. Yeah. Be- and raw. It's raw and it's organic because, you know, the movie podcast game is one way to do things, but I'm figuring the whole black and white midnight delight just might really get people excited. Well, think about it. How many podcasts have, like, t-shirts? That's like, that's that, you know, we don't need to delve into that anymore. Oils, though? Oils. Podcast that sells oils. Or if we made, shirts, or if we made shirts out of tea. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So you could wear it, and then when it's hot, it just dissolves you, you into tea. Or you swim, and everyone can sip. Okay, on can the, sip on, you on the on the tea pool. Okay. Okay. So if you weren't if you weren't figuring, that's probably much of that might have been a joke, but no joke is that it's very special. We have we have a guest today, Mr. Cribs, Mr. John Cribs, gentlemen. Um. Is, has anyone ever made a alcoholic beverage for you called the Mr. Crib that involves Mr. Pib? Uh, oh my God, no, never. It's never happened. Well, the closest I get is the Sydney Poitier. They call me Mr. Cribs yeah. reference, but I never got never got a, a Mr. Pip worked in. Yeah, you gotta meet. The, you know, you gotta hang out with the lowbrow and with the highbrow. <laughs> I I definitely. Uh, consort with the lowbrow more than anything. I so I'm, I'm going to make. So that's you, why I'm, I'm shocked. Has never happened. I'm going to come up with a Mr. Crib. I was a bartender for years. I'll come up with a Mr. Crib. I can't wait to try it. It's going to have Mr. Pip. Perfect. I yeah. hope it's. Is it just seventy percent Mr. Pip? Mr. Pip. <laughs> just going to have a paper label written just called Mr. Cribs. No, no, we're not just going to Greek like Greek. But take it. a, a take a like take a take a Doctor Pib, drink half of it, and then pour something else into What's it. What's a Doctor Pib? Or Mr. Pip, sorry, and then pour a Dr. Pepper, is, is what I meant into it, and then. Uh... No, we're talking alcoholic beverages. Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you I'm ever do thinking, that? Though, I'm just thinking the... extreme. I don't need alcohol. Did you ever do it's that like though? The serve yourself mix. machines where you like put a little bit Mr. Pib, you put a little Sprite, you know, kind of mix it all up together. Yeah, I'm, I'm a type I'm... two diabetic. Of course, that's what I did. I did <laughs> yeah. that for many years. I'm, 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 you know, I'm a, I'm a Coca-Cola orange Fanta mixer. That's the one I like. That's a good mix. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of the, when they have it, orange Fanta and cream soda. Ooh, that, that sounds fancy. It is. It, I'm, a, I'm a fancy bitch. What can I say? <laughs> That's just who I, I am. A, I was a fan of ginger ale and orange juice. Ginger yeah. and orange juice was, was a good one. I'm also uh, a fan of gin and Mountain Dew called Gin Mountain. Really? I would never <laughs> had that before. <laughs> yeah, because you're like a nice person. I don't know if you ever went through a mean phase, but many oh. people's mean phases... Uh, also, are during their gin phases. I'm going through a bit of a mean phase right now. I don't. I think but you're a very nice person. Thank you. No, I mean I am. At the end of the day. So, uh, Mr. Cribs, you you are the better half of the pink smoke. <laughs> I'm a half, absolutely. You're a half. The other half, uh, Chris uh, Chris Funderburg. He was here last time. Yes. Tried to tried to put one over on on me in a, in a fast way. <laughs> so I heard. Yeah, but he, but I was just too ill. Uh, <laughs> what what's your deal? My deal, my deal is that, um, I love movies as well, but I kind of hate them at the same time. Well, yeah, I kind of hate them because they're so consuming of my life, and I, if I'm being honest, sometimes I think about 
all the things I could have done if I weren't so obsessed with watching movies. I didn't have so many films to watch. Do you really? All the time. I do. Oh. I think, like, you know, maybe I should have learned a musical instrument, for example. You have no idea how much I admire, you know, and envy you guys, you know, as musicians, something that I never took. And I, I, maybe there, maybe it's just a lack of talent that I have to blame, but I really choose to blame movie watching. I, I, I whittle on watching. my guitar while watching movies because I also score films. Mm-hmm. So sometimes while I'm watching a movie, I'll just grab my guitar and practice a couple things, see if I can get a vibe or something. But, yeah, no, I understand, because I'm like, how do I watch five movies a week, read a book or two a week, uh, have a life, do all these other things? It's hard. I honestly think I never feel worse than right when I go into a movie where I feel like I'm sacrificing two hours of my life that I'll never get back again because I have to go see this movie. But at the same time, I never feel better than when I'm coming out of the movie and after I've digested it and gotten that fix. Sure. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen too. many I've seen many movies alongside alongside you. So also it's like seven well, it's like ten ten dollar, twelve dollar therapy or mm. meditation or trance because hmm. you if you're not a jackass, you turn your phone off and you aren't doing anything with your hands for anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours. Mm-hmm. The reason why I enjoy watching Tarkovsky movies, who I might be talking about later in this episode. At movie theaters is you know uh, <laughs> is I was, I'm doing some I'm doing some real some real heavy-handed foreshadowing. I was gonna I was gonna make fun of a director in there, but I chose not to. <laughs> Met, Shyamalan Met Matner. Oh, <laughs> oh him. Yeah, no, because because uh, yeah, no, I I like him. Hmm. I yeah. like your guy that mm-hmm. you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, but hey. <laughs> I will defend Money Talks. Other than that, I got nothing but Money Talks is is very funny. And and, and for Charlie Sheen. Sure. That's not Not a bad movie. Well, no. Actually, Chris Tucker is actually... Sometimes the guy you expect to be funny is like secondary, like Blue Streak. Luke Wilson steals the show in Blue Streak. It's not Martin Lawrence, although he is funny. Yeah. But But, but speaking of Martin Lawrence, who directed Nothing to Lose? I don't know. That's like my favorite. I'm not sure. That's my. That's another great. That's a movie that I love. Again, John McGinley and Giancarlo that. Esposito. They're the, in the, it. The, the part. They're the ones who steal the show. It's not Martin. Every. It's like Martin Tim Lawrence. Robbins, Tim, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins is moment, pretty damn good. But it's the villains. It's the two villains who steal that movie. Well, McGinley I mean, and Esposito. You live your life long enough, you become the villain. Yep. <laughs> um... Uh, <laughs> or a shitty sitcom star, or, or a shitty sitcom star. <laughs> but you know, you got to pay the bills. But yeah, so it's so like certain foreign films for me can be difficult to watch at home. Mm-hmm. But at the at the cinema, I can just I, I all I can do is focus, and it becomes uh, a mix: the trance of the magic of movie, plus the trance of of letting just this movie be part of you, even if it's like not a great movie. I I rarely go to a actual cinema and I'm like I'm so mad, even if I didn't like the movie. Oh yeah, well I mean between watching a movie at home and going to see in the cinema, it's the difference between waiting in a bathtub and deep diving into the ocean. You know, it's completely different. You could just have no chance. You have no uh, there's you have no ugh, there's nothing to do but immerse yourself at that point. You have no choice but to to surrender yourself to what you're what you being, being enveloped by. 
And I also can't surrender myself to not deal with self-criticism. A little housekeeping from last week. And last week we talked about the film Bye Bye Monkey. Have you seen that movie? I have. It's, it's interesting. It's, it is interesting. I uh, wrote recently about another one of his films, uh, Marco Ferreri's, yeah. called uh, I Love You, which Christopher Lambert falls in love with a keychain, a musical keychain that says, I love you when you whistle at it. He definitely okay, likes got, the deviant love story. Okay, I know, I know what our next episode... Which also ends on a beach. He's a big fan of any movies on I, beaches. I know what our next episode's going to be about. But I, I erroneously said that Lower Manhattan was still beachside, but my friend Ted pointed out that that was landfill from the world trade that became Battery Park City. So, sorry for you history buffs. And if that would pull me out of the episode if I had heard that, I know. Yeah. You know, glad to clear that up. And I just want to ask one question to our listeners: If any of y'all are quantum physicians, you know, get prepping for this episode. We're going to talk about two movies at least. We've already talked about seven. Um, one of them that Marcus told me about. He was driving me home last week, and he told me about this movie called Moscow Zero, and he told me the premise. He told me the premise. I immediately went home and, and downloaded it uh, legally and was like, oh, oh, my God. But I did, a little, I did a little academic research to see if there was any about this uh, fantastic film. And there's, there's not a lot, but I came, up, I came out with, I found this interesting uh, uh, in, uh, physics inconsistency. So if you're a physicist listening to the show, explain what this means, because I don't know what it means. A Landau ghost, also known as a Moscow Zero, is a possible inconsistency in the renormalization procedure that appears at very high energies in quantum electrodynamics and other quantum field theories in which there is not a symptotic freedom. That's a mouthful. Right? I don't, yeah. I don't know what that means. And I'm a Quantum Leap fan, and I have no idea what that means. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Quantum Leap <laughs> super fan. So, so I'm yeah. a Dean Stockwell fan. Fair enough. So, so what Landa- about Bakula? Bakula's mm-hmm. great, too. He's cool. So He's I, really good in the Liberation movie, actually. He is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, ha- I wonder, I really do wonder if they're going to take me under. I wonder if Marilla, Maria Lydion knew about the, the, the Quantum thing that is Moscow Zero Sure. when she made Moscow Zero. Yeah, because I don't like to give movies like some I do, but a movie like this, I don't like to get like lower the standards or, or, or not give it the credit you know it deserves so perhaps she did try to do some research and uh, throw some um, some real science in there, but I'm not sure. I never I've watched this movie so many times, but I've never took it upon me to go as deep as you did so, I, I, did, I did deep because yeah. also sometimes when they're so this film is sort of a ghost story. Yeah. Um, Wait, before was I right though? Like, you, do you see what I mean about the Ninth Gate? About how it's like uh, it, yeah. it's a double, it's a lesser. Uh, yeah, it's it's very similar to the movie, um, the Ninth Gate. I love any horror movie that has like the the tome or the book, the found artifact that yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. take, yes, and then they yes. have to like you know go. That's always a staple that I enjoy. Although I think I watched the wrong movie. I watched Japan Four. <laughs> Because I want to allude. So, because also Moscow Zero, I screwed up. Oh yeah, (laughs) America Three. Um, you guys ever heard of the stone tape theory? No, I haven't. 
I read about it. Does that have anything to do with um, oh the um, Quatermass guy? Did a, a, a miniseries called The Stone Tapes. What's the theory? The theory, which I found out from listening to a car record, where he, where he like um, one of the producers, he gave credit as this Japanese word, and I googled the Japanese word, and it went to the Stone Tape theory, which is the idea that stones and rocks um, can capture um, traumatic events, mm-hmm. horrific events, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, powerful events. And that certain people that got like the mad stone skills can see these these stone tapes, these stone recordings, and that is sometimes the answer for apparitions or ghosts or phantoms. I think that's the exact same thing. Nigel Neal is the name of the guy. He did uh, he uh, created the Quatermass movies in England, uh, very popular over there, and he did a miniseries in the late seventies called the Stone Tapes. And I think the idea is that stones induce people to kill themselves. Like the the power that comes out of stones, and then he wrote a script uh, for Halloween three, which was then rewritten. But that's the same basic idea. Where is he's that like, the one where Stonehenge. Mike Myers wasn't? No, in Mike it? Myers. It's they take yeah. a piece of Stonehenge and like put it with a chip, and it causes people's heads to like turn into insects and whatnot. Spoiler for anyone that's seen Halloween three. You know, I feel like the people that want to see Halloween three have seen. Halloween have probably already. Seen if Halloween. you're like into horror movies and shit like that, you've you know you see a lot of them. Because um, also, toward toward the end of World War One in 1917, the Russian Revolution ended. This the Tsaritsyn Russian Empire and led to the civil war between the Red and White Armies, eventually ending with the Soviet Union. During this revolution, in 1920, there was a a convent uh, in Moscow where there were some children. And there, the foreshadowing for Moscow Zero begins. Because... Because these are the kids we see running around in the catacombs with the sticks. The and catacombs, the because uh, Vincent Gallo is a priest. He comes to Moscow to find his disappeared friend, played by the most interesting person in the world. The um, shop proprietor from Eyes Wide Shut. That too, but he just kind of looks like the, the, the Dos Equis guy. Stay thirsty, my <laughs> friends. Bit, he yeah. was thirsty because he goes to this underground catacombs that that this like might be hell, might not be hell. But the gatekeeper is Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. and they meet this girl who is supposed to be played by Elisa Silverstone. Oh, really? Oh, yep. She backed out. She backed out. She wasn't into it. Unbelievable. Yeah, and then and then craziness ensues. But instead, we get Lila forever. Yeah, which I was totally cool with. Mm-hmm. And there's all these uh, really cool um, crosses of Lorraine. You know, mm-hmm. the Lorraine cross, it's a cross with a cross, plus another line. Uh, it's inspired. It's what inspired the, the, this, the coat of arms of, uh, uh, Joan, of Joan of Arc. Mm, okay. I don't know if you've heard of her. Uh, in passing. In passing. In passing. Yes. I saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, so I know Joan of Arc is. That was probably the best film that Joan of Arc was in. It's up there. Uh, yeah, what's what even the Carl Dreyer movie maybe, but yeah, I think that's no, that's, yeah. that's number two. I even like the Brisson, the trial. Really, the I thought it was action. boring. I, I, I mean, to be I know, I know, I know. Maybe it's a boring a, masterpiece, but a, a, it's uh, a Brisson movie. But even for a Brisson, what's, what, what, what's the name of the one with Mila Jovovich? The Messenger. I like that one. It's cool. I saw it once, and I remember it was one of those movies where it's like. I was going to be dumb. I'm going to hate it. And I didn't feel that way when it was over. So, oh, wow. You know what? 
Luke, Luke Besson, another collaboration between those two. Fidel and Messenger. Was that it? Did they do anything else? No, Luke I think it was just those two. two. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one thing I also really liked about um, them, the movie is like the weird maps. They remind me of like D&D maps. Yeah, the whole movie has has a bit of a D&D vibe. Yeah, like it. this could be like a what you were doing in your D&D campaign. Like you could be the priest that that likes to kiss Elisa Silverstone and goes into the catacombs to save your friend. Um cuz yeah, there, there's like this website I really like where people put it's just a it's just um an archive of D&D maps. I just love it. I love that sort of stuff. Yeah, My cousins used to play D and D. I would like observe them sometimes. And for the stint that I was kind of into comics a little bit, mostly Marvel cards. The comic book, the guys who worked there would always play uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, or they play Magic: The Gathering. It would be like one of the two. And I would just kind of. It was like a big deal. Like people would always gather. It was like a huge deal. Like people, they wouldn't pay attention to like people shopping in the store and it would just like I would go and like kind of observe what was going on and you're so, just trying to like find out who will shade your silver sable for your puck silver Jesus Christ yes <laughs> silver sable oh my god yes that's literally one of the or my cloak and dagger or something like that I got a Sasquatch who wants it where's the Alpha Flight <laughs> show on Netflix is what I want to know how did you find how did you find out about Moscow Zero was it through Gallo you followed Gallo too through, yeah through Gallo it was just one of those no well you know what it wasn't anything I did research on so at my old job old old job there was like um, this old video it was like a video store that sold like movies for like DVDs for like four dollars but they were from like other countries so it would have like the French type like French credits but that was it like it was still like a region one DVD and it was one of those things where I was like going along on my lunch break just walking through the aisles and literally like whoa wait what is this like I I hadn't even heard of it and with that I just blind bought four dollars literally four dollars wrapped packaged and everything went home watched it then watched it again and yeah I fell in love with it come out you know I'm a big Vincent Gallo fan I'm also a big uh, Val Kilmer fan, and when I discovered that movie, it was just after I'd seen MacGruber for the first time. And I remember <laughs> when I saw, I had gotten like a little sneak peek, and I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of MacGruber initially. However, no, from the beginning, I love Val Kilmer in it. Val Kilmer makes that movie for me still. Like I've come around, I like MacGruber a little more now, and so it was like perfect timing. I always love Vincent Gallo, and the fact that um, Val Kilmer was in it, and he just played, he just, I just finished watching him play a great villain in MacGruber. Yeah. I was like, you know what? The, he wasn't no really, a, he wasn't really a villain in this movie. He wasn't. He was. He's a gatekeeper. Yes. But I really loved um, another another film of Vincent Gallo with curly hair and glasses, looking glorious. Yeah. Going to find his friend, similar to Trouble Every Day. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Every day. Very yep. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A lot of um even the lighting in both films, like the color schemes, the the color palette rather is very very similar too when I think about it. The lighting in Moscow Zero was a mess. A little dark. There, <laughs> a little know. dark in parts. But Trouble Every Day is I mean, it's filmed a little better cuz I'm I don't know who the cinematographer was, but I I don't I can't think of too many cinematographers better than Agnes Goddard who shot Trouble Every Day, but yeah. still like I both movies make sense. Yeah, the lighting is rough in that, yeah. in, in not in Trouble Every Day. No, no, no. In Trouble Every Day is lit beautifully. And it's also lit, period. I was glad to see a film by a female <laughs> director from Spain because yeah. I love 
obviously like Louis Bunuel is my favorite filmmaker and mm-hmm. Victor Uris I love but I feel yeah, like Spanish Victor cinema Uris. in general is like a blind spot for me so like anything directed by a Spanish director I'm like you know, and I like that she bills herself as Luna which is my younger daughter's name so obviously I like that name a lot awesome but I think the, I think cinematographers just came along from her previous film. I don't think it's anyone mm-hmm. well known or international who went on to like a, to do a lot of stuff. So okay. might have just been like her college roommate for all we know. <laughs> do you like Lucretia Martel? I love Lucretia Martel. Oh yeah, you're Absolutely. talking to a big Lucretia Martel fan. She's I, a Pink Smoke favorite. I just discovered, I count the days for Zoom. I count them down. I just discovered her. She's kind of that's a great one to discover. Wow. Yeah. Have you seen Holy Girl yet? No, you were supposed to give me the the Oscar screener. Oh, my Oscar screener. Oh, okay. I'll I'll send it to you. No, I saw I saw um, the her first movie and her third movie. Okay, that's actually you know, but I like that order because I want you I I want you to watch Holy Girl, and then we'll obviously talk about it because I have things to say about it. Yeah, so. if we have if we have time, I feel like you know, this Friday, Beach Rats premieres. Yeah. Shout out to Eliza Hitman. Yeah, I'm going to see that movie on Friday. Nice. And I hope you see it over the weekend as well. No, it's getting seen over the weekend no matter yeah, what. Also, because M2 May is not, not around. Yeah. So that, that plan that we had couldn't yeah. have happened anyway. Yeah, I might see it with our mutual friend Warren. Um, or Solo. It might be It might be a movie. Like, seems like a movie I might see Solo. And yeah. m- m- but multiple times. Like, But I have, a fe- I have a feeling we're going to want to be talking about that next week. Absolutely. But there's also that earlier movie you just said that sounded really good, too. Which was that? I don't remember. <laughs> the, Coming out? No, you're like, this movie that we have to see. Like, that's next week's episode. Oh, the other Marco for... Uh, for oh, 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 yeah. I love you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love you, too, Landau. and I, I'm just getting to know you. <laughs> you have, no, you have a nice, dispens- nice disposition. Thank you very much. And your eyes. It's your eyes. It's all about your eyes, man. Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what they say. <laughs> well, then. Yeah. The only note I brought to this episode, I, I'll get my index card here, is um, swim fan. I wrote down for some reason. Swim fan. Swim fan. That's a great. That's a great early aughts uh, thriller. It is undervalued and forgotten. I feel starring in Marcus's words the uh, what you call it the B grade Julius the bootleg Julius Stiles. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> it's true. I mean, hey, wow. There's something about a film that uh, names its lead character Madison Bell. It has a character specifically mention her southern accent when she doesn't have any kind of a southern yeah, accent no, yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is it is it like are there ever movies now where it's they go to Russia and there's not a character named Sergey or Yuri? <laughs> I doubt it. Because it, yeah, it seems yeah, like Mission every, Impossible or Tom Clancy movie. Not, there's definitely going to be a Sergey and Yuri. I was surprised yeah, there was Yuri. a Sergey and Yuri in this movie, but there was something I noticed recently. Speaking of Russian. American films that take place in Russia have something to do with Russia. John McTiernan, right? Mm-hmm. Great action director in his day. Predator uh, from uh, Hunt for October. Uh, Die Hard, of course. And um, something I noticed that he does in his movies is he'll have characters speaking whatever their language is, like in Hunt for October, they're speaking in Russian. And then suddenly there'll be like a zoom into their mouth and they'll start talking in English and it'll zoom out and then the rest of the film will be them talking in English. Really? It's like a transition. Happens in the uh, the ninth, uh, what is it called? The fourth, uh, 13th Warrior? The Antonio Banderas I, I, movie? You ever yeah, see I, it? I don't, 13th I don't, Warrior, that's a good ass movie. Yeah, it's a good one, right? It's late, he directed late, that. Late 90s VHS classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Banderas. Uh, although in that one it's a specific plot point it's because a plot point he's, he's watching their because he's learning their language and he learns their language, yeah. I like that he, he figured that out early on in action movies that you just let people understand that that they're 
speaking in a different language. Mm-hmm. We're just hearing it in English. Right. And that's what he does. I like sort of that. the conceit of like Doctor Who where, you know, the his powerhouse, the TARDIS, you know, allows him to hear the everything in English, no matter where they are, you know, kind of like translated automatically, which explains away any kind of like what they're on a different planet why wouldn't they why would they be speaking in english same thing with star trek there's universal right the translator exactly or in, um uh hitchhiker's guide you have the babblefish right hitchhiker's guides a galaxy that movie was great i think uh i think it was it tried to be a little too quirky and people weren't feeling it i'm glad you like it i like it too and in uh lou the dark tower that came out recently i heard someone say now uh, Stephen King fans know how less Douglas Adams fans felt when that movie came out. Because I, and I understand what they mean. It's a lot to put into one 90-minute movie. You know, it's a, it's a big mythology and it's a lot of stuff, a lot of things to cover. Um, but I like the Hitchhiker movie. I thought it was... I know that he specifically wanted to do something very different from the book and from the radio series. Yeah. and So you kind of got like a slightly different, maybe quirkier story. Here's the thing. So you, you read the Hitchhiker's novels mm-hmm. yeah. and you've read the dark towers novels i have yeah okay so we're 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 cool guys <laughs> i've i've read both um i have you seen the dark tower i did i have uh-huh. okay i watched the dark tower i, I liked did. it i had a good time okay i wish there were so many things that he put in mm-hmm. but i'm not mad about it and i think if they make sequels hopefully they'll have all the interesting stuff with with Hitchhiker, I didn't even think all that. I just thought this is great. I feel like they're trying to do a little too much, like uh, I Heart Huckabee's sort of Wes Anderson joints in there. Mm, okay. Yeah. But, well, Zoe Deschanel, I guess, being the the quirky girl. Yeah. But <laughs> I, Jason Jason, uh, Jason Schwartzman connection yeah. there too. So maybe that explains mm, it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, even Third like, day of the time, right? Even there was mm-hmm. like there were a couple there were a couple scenes that almost felt like straight out of Magnolia but and it's a weird movie yeah I just I just wish they made another one to show people that it was kind of fun I had a mm-hmm. great time me too me too also it, it does sometimes suck too right because if if they never make another um, if they never make another Dark Tower then there's no chance for any of the stories to be told and that's too bad Don't you, do you think so I, I feel like after the reaction to this one, like they could definitely like close shop and like try again in like four years with something different. I feel I, like there would sure. be a, there could definitely be a different iteration of it. Yeah, or or, or where, just, where they kind of do like it's a series or whatever they do like the whole thing. They try to take their time and kind of build it up a little bit more rather than doing one big movie. Look, I don't agree. I don't disagree with you. All right. I haven't seen another movie, so I'm sorry. <laughs> it's totally cool, dude. Let's cool. switch gears. Let's switch gears. Okay. What's a beloved book that you saw made into a movie that you did not enjoy? That I did not enjoy. Mm. See, I have to be honest. I'm, I'm usually the, I'm I'm the opposite. Gone Girl. <laughs> no, I liked Gone Girl more than the book, and I read the book. First. I know I flipped I, it. I, just, I flipped yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know your article. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's oh yeah, fair enough. Oh yeah, I write for the Pink Smoke sometimes. I I, I write quite a bit, so sometimes I there are certain articles I'm like, oh wait, I did write about. I totally forgot about that because I wrote a version for my site. That's how much I like that movie. I wrote a, a Pinland Empire version and I wrote a Pink Smoke version. Um, no man, yeah, I'm one of those guys, like 
any book that, that I read, it's it's about a filmmaker usually. Um, and other than that, like I just uh, I read the I read the book after I see the movie. I'm mm-hmm. definitely that that guy. Just the novelization, right? Yeah, Goalie's Goalie's Anxiety, Penalty Kick, Solaris. Watchmen, all that stuff, I, re- I read after the fact. Mm-hmm. So you read the Watchmen novelization, not the graphic novel? The graphic novel. I'm just going with, I'm just going universal. Just the word, the, the, the paper version versus the celluloid version. The paper, the paper joint. The paper which, joint. Which, um, but also, do you remember... Uh, hold on, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. When I was a kid, I was a big Stephen King guy. So I read a lot of that shit before the movies came out. So... I love J.T. Walsh, but I remember not liking Needful Things because mm. there was like a lot of just from little things. The fact that it was Sandy Koufax, it wasn't Mickey Mantle, but I guess they had mm. to go the more yeah, nameable yeah. person. I guess not. You know, people know Sandy Koufax, but still, I guess Mickey Mantle is more known, and uh, just other little certain things. But I think that movie had to be PG because they wanted to get people to see it. So and Sandy Koufax got upset. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that's what that was about. Yeah, because uh, the kid who gets it tries to kill himself. In the book, he yeah. does kill himself. In the movie, he survives. And, and that too, yeah, but he says Sandy, Sandy Kovac was like, hey, hey, oh. what the hell? Yeah. You guys using my, you know, telling me I'm going, like making kids kill themselves? What the hell? Oh, I didn't know that. He got upset. I don't know. I can't remember if he sued or not, but he was not happy. Sandy wow. Kovac. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are y'all going to see it? Yeah. Yeah. Doubt. Yeah. One of those. Like, yeah. Yeah. In the, It's going to be fun. Like, to see it in the theater. Like, I, had, I got so many nightmares as a kid. But see, here's the thing. I didn't know what... You know what to expect. the miniseries expect. or the book? The yeah, mi- the miniseries. Because mm-hmm. the mini the miniseries is excellent. I just watched it maybe a little over a year ago again. Um, and it's still really good. Because I remember as a kid, it's like, okay, there's a clown and all that stuff. But it wasn't... I didn't fully know, know what to expect. All the scary parts weren't given away in any commercial. Whereas here... You already oh jump scare oh let me guess I'm just gonna jump out and scare like it's and you know and it's fun it's almost not fun I think a lot of the early aughts a lot of the like scary little kid movie with wet hair movies kind of like <laughs> ruin that you know like the re- or more so the American remake so it's like seeing these movies it's just kind of fun now but I'm 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 interested it's weird too that they got the kid from Stranger Things in this and it's like the same almost like the same thing oh is he in it. Yeah, yeah. The I main, didn't realize uh, that they had a yeah. yeah the main yeah, kid yeah. from Stranger Things is also one of the the kids in in uh, in the It remake. So that's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, it's I kind did, of it going, arresting. It arresting. <laughs> they're going they're going heavy on on the nostalgia. So yeah, nostalgia is. I'm kind of over nostalgia right now. But what I'm not over is the film nostalgia. Okay, <laughs> by Andre Tarkovsky. That's an A plus transition right there. <laughs> because I watched that movie. Right after I watched Moscow Zero. Okay. Going um, Russian to kind of Russian? Yeah, it was Russian. Well, yeah. Well, both have non-Russian characters and Russian characters. Mm-hmm. There's both There's both have a have a spirituality of course. into it. They, oh, very true. Um, yeah, in, in, a, in Moscow Zero, they have the, the Cross of Lorraine. In nostalgia, there are Coptic crosses all over, so there are different versions of crosses. And then there's, um, I guess, the Abbey you want to call it that, that the main character, the writer, doesn't want to go into. Mm-hmm. But it's also <clears throat> sort of, not even sort of, it's pretty much a, a metaphor of of Tarkovsky, largely being told that if he came back to Russia, he wouldn't be able to work. Yeah. And holding his family hostage there, and then he meets, and then there's this friend and. And there's an amazing nine-minute sequence in the end with a candle. 
Oh yeah. That that just blew me the fuck away, yeah. dude. Yeah. No, no nostalgia. Nostalgia is really great. Because um, nostalgia, like as a thing, you know, is sort of like, I think it's pretty dangerous. I don't like it. It's like homesickness. And like, uh, yeah, it's no. It's interesting you say that. I re- I really. You just talk when you say nostalgia is dangerous. You just talking about in general. Yeah. Because I really have I. I run off nostalgia, like personal nostalgia, quite a bit, honestly. Like from the fact that I still wear my high school ring from 1999. Um, I still talk about my track and field days, like I'm Al Bundy. Like certain <laughs> movies, I, I watch certain movies more so. I don't really care too much about the movie, just where I was when I originally saw it, or that period of my life. Like that's really the only. Like I'll have it on only in the background, and I'll surf the internet. One, because I've seen it a million times, and two, it's just nice to be reminded. You know, of that time, but for then me, sometimes it, it gets a little, like, oh, two in the passing. For me, it just up. it just reminds me of like all the sad things that have happened in my life. Sure, it's just that, very, it's infinitely painful. I was reading in this nice article about um, about nostalgia that they you know call they, that uh, like if you break it down in Latin, nostalgia means return home pain, mm. which is like fuck. Yeah, you know. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, and I'm only talking about myself. I've never. I always associate nostalgia with like a good thing, like re- rarely with pain. But, but, the older I get, especially certain recent events, it's like yeah, nostalgia does kind of suck these days. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah, not. I'm not feeling it. Because memories, much like these stone tapes we were talking about, yeah. can be these recordings <clears throat> of ghosts and sad things, and sure, and not everything you want to be reminded of. No, no, definitely not. Um, do you like the movie Nostalgia? I do. I haven't seen it in years, so unfortunately I don't have it fresh in my memory. I love the Hollis Frampton movie Nostalgia. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. It's a 17-minute film. He's an experimental filmmaker. He basically has photographs on a hot plate, and he narrates the photo as they're burning, except he's not talking about that photo. He's talking about the very next one. So he's always one photo ahead. And then at the very end, has one of the most amazing endings ever. He says, something in this picture that I see makes me want to never take a picture again. Do you see it? Do you see what I see? Except we never get to see the picture because it would have been the very next one and he ends the film there. Wow. Has someone ever tried to like Steven Soderbergh that and like edit it and just like um, I'm Probably. It? I've never seen uh, that happen but I'm, I guarantee someone has done mm-hmm. that. Sure, yeah. sure, well, absolutely. I've never seen that before. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm familiar with Hollis Fremden a little bit. I've never seen that you one. You gotta though. see some more. He's just the best. Yeah. But um, but, but Tarkovsky, you know, um, speaking of artistic failure that I was talking about earlier, um, you know what Bergman said about Tarkovsky, he, uh, he says, I cannot open doors that Tarkovsky effortlessly goes through all the time. He had like a huge amount of frustration over not being able to find these worlds that Tarkovsky does. He considered himself a failure in that regard, which I kind of think is interesting because everyone, of course, you know, thinks Bergman is fantastic, but he himself thought, I'm second only to Tarkovsky and those feelings that you were talking about, like being able to evoke those sort of feelings in his films. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is also... Um, Henry Miller posited that uh, Ernest Hemingway killed himself with a, with a gun that he got at Abercrombie and Fitch, mind you, because he simply wasn't as good as Dostoevsky. Hmm. Because he, you know, there's something about these Russians. 
had this <laughs> had this command of emotion and story and um, depth and being able to be really calm and simple but still get every little piece you you stop some of these scenes and and you're like oh what a simple shot and then you're and then you look and you're you know it it becomes like a Bruegel the Elder painting where there's so many things going on and nothing you know the just just the the that one room in the zone how do you do that I'm thinking now about all the stand-up comics who probably killed themselves because they were not as funny as Yakov Smirnoff oh man <laughs> Do you know the um? Do you know his? The, no, you're like, absolutely right. Great stuff. The most amazing. I mean, he talked about it on Marin. The most amazing thing I learned about Yakov Shmirnov is that after, you know, Soviet humor wasn't funny anymore, um, he moved to Missouri where he knew that they wouldn't be keeping up on world news, so he could still kind of do his whole like, in Soviet Russia, like for two more years. Like he did that because, and, and he was right because the people in Missouri were not up like in the town of Missouri where he moved to and, and had like a, a residency. They were not up on on politics, so he could still lie <laughs> and say how tough it was in uh, in Russia, and that's how he got a shtick over still. So milk it while you got it. I have to say too, this whole talk is making me nostalgic because there was a period in my life where Anthology Film Archives was like my second home. They have, I you know, I don't want to, I'll plug them, whatever. Uh, actually, the pro, one of the head programmers for. Uh, Anthology Film Archives, Jared, he's actually a neighbor of mine. I used to go there all the time, and that's where I saw a lot of Hollis Frampton, and I saw quite a bit of Tarkovsky films there um, on the big screen, so it was just, it's just bringing me back to that, like, 2009 through 2011 period where um, I used to go there quite a bit. Had my birthday there. Yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you there? No, I, I missed miss it. Right, I remember. That's right. That's right. I, yeah, for those who I heard about this, the, yeah. the lineup, I was. I threw. I threw my thirtieth birthday at Anthology Film Archives. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I showed Down by Law, Peewee's Big Adventure, and um, U.S. Go Home. I've, I've seen Evan, two or uh, three. Lineup. Yeah, it was special too because when I told, uh, I was in uh, Barcelona and uh, Paris maybe like a couple months before that birthday and I was telling uh, one of the co-stars of U.S. Go Home uh, my friend Alice how I would I'd, I had already rented the space and I was like oh U.S. Go Home it's like an hour that's like perfect length and then like when I got home her brother came to visit New York City like a few weeks later and he brought me a personal copy of U.S. Go Home to show at, at my birthday so oh like, wow really, yeah that's awesome that's the thing there's some really nice people Oh yeah, Alice is one of them. Her brother Pierre. Shout out to Pierre. Pierre's a great shout guy. Shout out to all the Pierres in the world that are nice. Yes. You know, shout out to nice people. I just want to say, there's lots of nice people. Yeah, being being nice is underrated. I think these days. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with being nice. Trust me. It it being nice is great. I like nice people. Also, I second that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I. I was reading an interview with Tarkovsky before before Nostalgia was released, mm-hmm. and they said, you know, what did you have an idea of the images with which you will visualize these themes? And he says, if possible, they will be even more simple and essential than those of Stalker. With the renunciation of technical gimmicks of special effects, a man in the life around him, a man in reality, a recreated nat- reality, naturally, not a copied one. I do not believe in a cinema that copies. What a G. Sure. <laughs> and that's exactly what it's like. Because like, people will talk about how complicated 
stalker is, but it's pretty simple in yeah. a, in its in its uh, execution. He didn't yeah. like copies. I wonder what he thought of the Soderbergh Solaris. Oh man, <laughs> we are you know, not going to not going to get stuck. Tarkovsky is one of my favorite filmmakers, but he seemed to not like most things. Just period. I've read about at this point five books on him, some personal interview books, some autobiographies on him. And he seemed to just not like a lot of things. He he was he was that kind of guy. <laughs> do do we still stand by the fact that he liked to eat turnips, or have we changed? Which, no, no. Which turnips tuber, all day? Which tuber he liked? Which what tuber? Oh, huh. so 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 we're into. Tur- How do you feel? Do you think Tarkovsky enjoyed turnips? I was thinking turnips, but more like turnip soup, maybe like a, a variation on turnips, not just the straight up cut them up and eat them variety. Man, I want some turnip soup. <laughs> I have to say, I do want to. I don't want to just print him out to be the crotchety person that he kind of was. He loved Lindsay Anderson movies, and that kind of makes me really. Very I never happy. heard that. They, they, they were good friends. I actually like t- towards the end because like huh. <clears throat> through lectures, film festival circuit stuff, whatever. For the last few years, like they always bumped in, in into each other, and they just kind of like became friends. And he re- and Tarkovsky, he really really liked If. Mm-hmm. And then from that moment, and then he also liked Oh Lucky Man. Um, I don't know about like the, the the pre-if stuff. Well, I think he only had like one film before if, right? With the, yeah, the Sporting Life. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was I was gonna say Jared Harris's father. I think that might that might be a first ever. But um, yeah, and uh, so I like that because because Lindsay Anderson films have like a sense of humor to it. So so I you know I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I can see it's funny. He got started with If, which obviously is a play on uh, Jean Vigo, Zero for Conduct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I can see that kind of tracing itself back to Tarkovsky a little bit and yep. kind of like appreciating that sort of world cinema sort of oh, vibe yeah. to it. I can oh, see yeah. that. So that's interesting. I knew that he was a big friend, uh, friend and fan of John Ford. And he wrote a, Lindsay Anderson wrote a book about him and everything, but I didn't know that oh. he and Tarkovsky were buds. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Did not know. I wonder what he would have thought <laughs> of, of Moscow Zero, Tarkovsky. You think he would have. Enjoyed it? Yes. I do. I don't. I do. <laughs> I don't. Because te- te- technically, to most people, it's a genre movie, and it's a form of entertainment. And Tarkovsky famously said, movies shouldn't be entertainment. So it's like that that right there. I don't know. Hmm. Which, But to counter that, though, it's like, again, If and Oh Lucky Man are both pretty entertaining. Are both uh, pretty en- entertaining. Especially Oh Lucky Man. It's part musical. So yeah, You hmm. never know what people's personal yeah. taste. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always not... fascinated. I, I'm very fascinated with that. Though. I, I I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what that's about. But I'm always like, and that's why I cringe. I've been lucky enough. Some people. Sometimes I have to. Other times I have to hold back because I'm very like, what have you watched recently? Or like, what are your favorite movies? Which is like the number one kind of like hacky interview question. And I know that, but so I'm just like, I have to know. Like, I'm so curious. Like, what you're into? I, you know. I don't know. I always want to know what people's favorite movies are and sure. favorite songs and favorite books. Sure. And if they're like, I can't name just one, I'm like, you can make up the rules yeah. of what that means. Like when I say my favorites... You've got a stock answer. Do I have a stock answer? you just got to have a stock answer, you know, for when people ask. Then you don't have to, oh, you know, I couldn't even start to think. Have you seen... You just a- say, my favorite movie is... Cabin Boy. There you go. Is Cabin Boy your favorite go. movie? It's not, but I do love Cabin Boy. What is... Well, give me three of your, your bests. <laughs> Stock answer uh, that I got in the in the, in the the chamber. Big Trouble in Little China. Nice. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Interesting. Blue Velvet. Wow. Oh, I got one of those. Blue Velvet. That's okay. Awesome. Um, my stock is uh, Stalker, Rumblefish, and Being There. There you go. I if like we're doing, that. If we're doing three. Mm-hmm. If we're doing four, 
it's Freddy got fingered, and if we're doing five, I'm going to put First Blood in there. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great list. Those are my, that's a great top five. Those are my top five. And honestly, the Burbs is the one I say more than anything. The Burbs, the, bur- the Burbs, the, the Burbs. Let me be clear, the Burbs, not the Birds. Oh, so better than Hitchcock already. It is better than Hitchcock. Yeah. Are you? Have you written an article? Like I haven't. That? I've been meaning to. I got some uh, in the back of my mind, but I gotta get on that. Do you think Alfred Hitchcock watched any foreign movies? Did I think he watched foreign movies? Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. What do you think he thought of, um, you know? Well, I know he liked Boonwell films a lot and was uh, thought that Boonwell had the right idea. You know, I'm curious. You might know. what. What was? Did he have any kind of relationship in real life, on paper, anything with Shrubble? Because they're pretty, like, there's... Whether they actually were pals to, or to met to up, I don't know. Chabrol and Romare wrote a book about Hitchcock, you know, early mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Uh, before Hitchcock Truffaut, obviously. Like, you know, before... I think it ended with uh, Wrong Man. Mm-hmm. I think it was the last movie that they talked about. Okay. But, but whether they had a personal relationship, I guess I don't I don't know. Or they, must, they must have crossed paths. Yeah, I had to. And I don't know if Hitchcock had anything to say about Chabrol or even Truffaut for that reason, that matter, or the French New Wave in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he probably reserved his thoughts on most films, but I think he definitely probably kept up with... I appreciate I, I appreciate a filmmaker who also has an appreciation for films and doesn't hold back his opinion. And, and even if they didn't like something, can like, res, like I dislike it, but like respect, say something critical. But and I appreciate that too because if you're a filmmaker, if you know how tough it is to make a film, <clears throat> even if a film comes out and it's not very good, it's, it's so like all, all this work went into it. So I'm not gonna say this. Is, I'm not gonna compare it to uh, Unwanted Urine, like no. uh, Paul Schrader <laughs> liked to do. Yeah, he's a depressed dude. He's not a happy man. I know. I just listened to the Mark Maron, uh, uh, Rob McEnery, uh from It's Always Sunny. Uh-huh. I didn't know that his first thing that he ever really got involved with was he wrote a script that Paul Schrader was going to uh, direct. Did you know that? No. I vague, The only thing I remember, he was in... Um, I remember listening to that interview. The only thing that I remember from the interview was how his first, one of his first roles... It was that Brad Pitt Harrison Ford movie? He's in and the Devil's Zone. Got cut. The Devil's yeah. Zone. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. got cut. Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember Paul Schrader even coming up. Yeah, they were. They optioned his script, and he, Paul Schrader was going to make it, but he ended up making autofocus instead. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. That That's crazy because that was around the time he's got a good part uh, in um, Thirteen Conversations about one thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's he plays this dude. Him and uh, have you? Oh, I guess you haven't seen it. John Turturro, it's it's an anthology. Everyone is connected, but the stories are separate. But everyone's connected. Movie and John Turturro is a um, a college professor, and he's a student, and they have this really antagonistic relationship. And that's all I'll say. Barbara Su- uh, Sukowa is is actually in it. No Sukowa kidding. Bomb, oh yeah, she's. Uh, I think he cast her in another movie too. Turturro did. Oh, did he? I think so. I feel like. Oh, nice, nice. Some film. I, okay. I don't know if it's Illuminati or what. But. That was actually, and for those who haven't seen it, it it total like. Oh, it's 2001, let's keep making these Everyone is Connected movies. But it's actually okay. And and, it, and it's an early Matthew McConaughey McConaughey when they're talking about, oh, it's McConaughey. Ma- uh, Matthew McKay has a story in there. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Alan Arkin. Um, it's interesting. It's, it's, That's it's, an it's, eclectic it's, cast. It's, I, it's saw, I saw a terrible connected one with uh, Tom Berenger and uh, fucking, I think... Sylvester Stallone was in it too. It was what? Lot, yeah, it was all what? about a self-help book that was being passed around to help people. It was terrible. It came out like two or three years ago. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Whoa. Only thing I know. I, wa- Bar- I, wa- I watch movies. I watch any movies. Wow. Okay. Shout out to Tom Benjamin. I want to see this though. 
Okay. We have to look it up afterwards. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm very curious. What, Marcus, would you say is the best film made by a non-auteur? By a not non a Not a Hitchcock, not a Claire Denis, not a Tarkovsky, but somebody yeah. who just made a movie, like got the paycheck, made the movie, boom, it came out. No one said, this guy is the next anybody, but it's just, it's a movie by somebody. Don't say swim fan. No, no. All right. Don't worry. <laughs> um, shoot. I have to think. I, 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 uh, do documentaries count? Sure. Why not? Well, because I got to go with, I'm sure there's many King of options. Kong. Huh? King of Kong? No. no. Oh, well, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> but no, I got to go with the resurrection of Jake the Snake. Because this guy wasn't like a filmmaker. He was a wrestling fan. He's a fan, right? He's yeah. a wrestling fan, and he made a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking like <clears throat> like Art Brute? Or what are we mm-hmm. talking here? Yeah, just someone who was more of a journeyman who just kind of hired on to make the movie and didn't become a big artist, uh, didn't get his name you know, put in the books or anything. For me, a good example is uh, Payday. You ever see it? The Rip Torn movie? Have you seen Payday? No. It's great. By uh, Daryl Dukes. He's a Canadian filmmaker. Also made The Silent Partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. Christopher Plummer, Ellie Gould yeah. movie. I saw that movie because but, uh, of you guys. You guys. We'll see Payday because of us talking. too. Because okay. it's phenomenal. Okay. Even if you're not a Rip Torn. You, you like Rip Torn? I do. You do like Rip Torn. Of course. Of course. You do. Um, <laughs> I mean, our podcast is loosely based on uh, Right. <laughs> Tom, Tom Green would be mine. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's the good one for like, who's your favorite single film director? I always think of Tom Green as a single film director, like much like Charles Laudam. Okay, so so it's not <laughs> yeah, so okay. it's not it's oh, not yeah. it's not it, they could have had more than or, one uh, movie. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, no, they only had the one film. Well, I mean, the only one like theatrically released, you know, kind of properly done. The, film. I know movie, he's got some TV so what's movies. What's the question? Best director only made one movie. That wasn't the original question. Yeah, I Barbara that. Loden's also great. That wasn't no. The original question was sorry. Uh, best non-auteur, best uh, yeah, yeah, journeyman director yeah, 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 to yeah. just put out a movie, and that movie's great. And nobody like you know trumpeted his you know his, sure. his, his his vision or anything. He went off and he did you know a Punky Brewster episode. Nobody said anything else about him. I mean, there's so Pretty many Poison many. is another oh, great wait, one by Noel Black. To answer that question, Ganja, I think Ganja and Hess. I was going to say Wendell Hess. B. I was going to say one. Wendell B. Harris. I mean, okay. That's Chameleon Street is the masterpiece. That is you know? the that. But that's that. That's that's the like great one movie yeah. director. But yeah, I feel like he definitely yeah, was true. trying to be an auteur. Like, he definitely that's was true. trying to get his vision that's out true. there. That's true. And I would say that was an auteur, a movie by that's an auteur, which simply see, didn't yeah. follow up on it. Because yeah. I only said that too because <clears> Charles Lawton comes into play. That <clears> I mean, Night of the Hunter is a masterpiece in my opinion. Very weird for its time, you know. So and you guys have talked about Wanda before. Barbara Lawton would definitely be in that category. Sure, absolutely, sure. Yeah. There aren't too many of them who've had like one great movie and then disappeared or just never directed again. Okay, just as I was about to say, you kind of corrected. What about, oh, yeah. what's that dude? You made me see that movie we never talked about at Parents? Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban. He's done, well, he did My Boyfriend's Back. He's done episodes of Strangers with Can't. Like, he's a direct. Like, he's you know kind of low key. You know, funny movie. But he, ain't no, he, he isn't considered an auteur. Oh, oh, no, not true. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're going back and, between and, these categories. And, yeah. and Parents yes. is one of the wildest. It's excellent. You saw, you made me see that, and I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? I made you, or <laughs> I gifted you the ability to see this wonderful movie. Because yeah. made you sounds a little like, ah, okay. There's this great, great story about Bob Balaban that, uh, that Chris told me. Um, so he was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind with Truffaut. They had scenes together, right, huh. running around. So he got chummy with Truffaut and asked him, like, I want to direct a movie. Tell me, like, what's the secret? Truffaut tells him, this is the secret. He says, your first film, uh, make for everybody. Make it a film that everyone's going to enjoy with universal themes that everybody loves. But your next movie, make it your movie. 
like like you know my theme is you know men their relationship with women that's what I wanted to focus on in my second film uh, shoot the piano player he said that's what you got to do so Bob Balaban makes parents and then what's his personal movie the one that really meant something my to him boyfriend's my back. boyfriend's back okay. teenage zombie comedy that's what Bob Balaban had to put out there in the universe that's his big theme I was really hoping there was a Bob Balaban movie I missed before parents and parents was going to be that movie but apparently not oh also <laughs> uh, Chen is dead Chen, oh well well Wayne Wayne yeah, he didn't yeah. do it. He didn't do like now he directs movies with J Lo in them. Well, yeah, he kind of didn't he lost do... his path a little bit. But I'd still say he's got a few personal movies. Under he did his Blue in the Face, didn't he? Blue in the, the Yeah, oh, smoke. He did Smoke, didn't he? He did Blue in the Face. I thought it was the opposite. I thought no, no, he I directed Smoke, and then he and Oster co-directed Blue, Blue in the, in the face. face. Okay, he's, yeah. he's okay. Yeah. I take that back. But that's a guy who you might not call an auteur who's done a bunch of just like, in my opinion. Like very beautiful uh, working class movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would consider. Him, I guess it's. A, I guess it's a tough thing to kind of pin down in terms of definition. If I like think of like Roger Ebert did a review and said, "Holy shit, this guy is amazing. He's going to do incredible stuff." Remember his name. I feel like a movie with Payday um, or uh, or the the Jake the Snake documentary. Like that kind of movie is going to get reviewed. People are going to say this is a great movie. No one's going to say. Mark down. This director's going to do yeah. things. He's going to go places. They're just going to say, "Hey, I really enjoyed this film. It's well sure. done." And Rip Torn is great in it, but they're not going to say, "Mark Daryl Duke's name down." He's going to be incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, I I try to get people to watch. She's so lovely. Mm-hmm. The uh, it's uh, Nick Cassavetes. Nick Cassavetes. Cassavetes. Thing of his name. Although written by John Cassavetes. Written by John Cassavetes, and people won't take me seriously because they're like John Q. Blah blah blah. I'm like, no, trust me. Mm. It's possible. And so it's a very good movie. And it's a movie it's of people, excellent movie. excellent movie. That, but because of his path, people don't take it nearly as seriously. Or I'm so thankful that I like Alpha Dog. Do you? It's all right. It's got some moments. It got it's got some stupid moments. I just want, but overall, I almost right. this sounds messed up and weird because it's based on a true story. But I wanted Ben Foster's character, minus the whole skinhead stuff, to just be like in a, another separate movie, like a villain in another movie. Mm. It just didn't fit. Like, he just shows up at a party, starts doing karate mm-hmm. to people and stuff. <laughs> I, but, um, I really I've watched that movie a lot, though, so, I, mm-hmm. you know. I really do like that the world is starting to accept Babe 2 as a good movie. Oh, yeah. That's a movie Seems like it, yeah. I did a that, podcast on it last year. That's a movie that, like, back in the day, I would just, like, buy it for people. Like, no, you're, you don't trust me, so I'm going to buy this for you. So you, because this isn't like you, know, you sit them down, you make sure they watch it too. Yeah, they gotta take it home and throw it away. Be like, yeah, a, no, I mean, when I had Jack Frost too forever from Paul Cooney. Some some of my wilder recommendations have gotten people pissed off at me. You know, like uh, like I fuck we we both love fucking true stories. Mm, yeah, but some people it's so slow, it's too cute. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. I I like to think that. <clears throat> I mean, again, I was 18, so you can expect this, but I like to take credit for putting my freshman class at Hampton University onto Gummo. I used to, I had two VCRs, and by the time I got to Hampton in 99, Belly had came out on VHS, so everyone at Hampton was watching it, <clears throat> and then I just casually mentioned, there's the scene where they're at DMX's mansion, and they're watching Gummo, and then they were hype, just like... Hype um, Williams is, I answer, and Hype answer Williams, hype yes, Williams. Hype Williams, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Belly, that's non, it. Non-Ortor, yeah. but made a very interesting, interesting movie with some positives and negatives, never made another movie. 
we were like, but we were sitting in a dorm room, <clears throat> and they were just like, and someone happened to mention like, what the hell is this? What, what did Hype Williams do? Just like get a bunch of kids and film them and make this weird movie like in a movie. And I was like, no, that's an actual movie. It's called Gummo. They're like, shut up. No, it's not. Like, I swear to God, I'll go downstairs to my room and get the movie right now. And then we watched it. And then I remember I had two uh, two VCRs and I had these t- and I would copy it for people. And then a couple of times, more than once, someone would not get my, knock on my door and say, "Can I get a copy of uh, Gummo?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." I was happy to do it. So this I, I like hearing stuff like, "Yeah, freshman year at college." Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Another I, another random story about blue in the face. <clears throat> when I first started dating my my now girlfriend, she really liked Brooklyn, so she had seen Smoke and she hadn't seen Blue in the Face, which is like the in- improvised sequel with the love letter to Brooklyn. Yes. Yeah. And I bought her the DVD of Blue in the Face, and that same day we went to go see the Warriors uh, at Brooklyn Academy of Music. And who sit directly sits next to us is Malik Michael Yoba. J. Fox. No, Malik Yoba. But that would have been <laughs> awesome. And I kind of do like, oh, Malik Yoba. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. And I had this DVD and I showed it to him. And then he couldn't see it at first. He was just like, and then he was so, it's like, what a weird, you know, like you just sit next and someone shows him like this movie, you were, a random movie at that too. And he was like, oh shit. Like he was really like taken aback. That's weird. And then he hit on my girlfriend. <laughs> what movie was that again? Blue in the Face. Yeah, it's a. Better than Victor Rocco hit on your girlfriend. I, I honestly would not have been mad at that. I would, I would have appreciated that. would have been charming. That. Very charming. Exactly, yes. Malik Yelp, yeah, it's too... I don't... I have a weird thing. I've said this on Wrong Real Podcast before. I don't like my fiancé having crushes on other black guys. You can have any other race, it's fine, but we're... My girlfriend's white. You can't. So she has a crush on the guy that plays Luke Cage. I don't play mm-hmm. that shit. That, that doesn't sit well with me. So... You'd rather she have a case uh, a crush on the... the uh, other guy, the Iron Fist guy. Oh, go ahead. She can totally <laughs> fine. I'd laugh at that. <coughs> Absolutely. I think a lot of people would. He's, he's, yeah. Where are we on time? Uh, 55 minutes. Okay, so we're getting ready to to smooth it down. Yeah. Let's just ask, what's the next Tarkovsky movie you're going to tackle? Because you were telling me you're taking your time, you're seeing them. What's your favorite Tarkovsky movie? Mine? Uh, the Mirror is definitely yeah. my favorite. Oh, okay, so that's yeah, the next one I'm watching. It's nice. great. You want to borrow it? Uh, yes, please. Cool. Although Andre Rublev is also phenomenal. I, I I have I have an I have an Academy screener of that. Yeah, that's great. That's all about kind of the destructive nature of art that I'm a huge fan of. I well. love I love the destructive nature of art. It, mm. It's really, yeah. Yeah, that's what's trying to tap into a little bit when I said I hate movies, and of course I don't really hate movies. I love them, but feel my life being destructed by them at the same time. I had a professor, college professor, a literature professor who had an amazing library in his office, just a whole wall of great books. I remember once I was in there, he was on the phone, I was just checking out all the different great titles he had, and he hung up. I said, this is a great collection of books. He goes, books have ruined my life, John. And that was it. Like He just like thought like his life had been all about reading books and not actually doing anything for himself and I kind of always think about that when I think about movies but in a good way in like a way that like art is meaningful and beautiful and destructive at the same time yeah but also at the same time you know a lot of us regular Joes are not going to live a lot of these experiences that we experience through movies and through books so I think a life spent in books and in movies but also with some time spent outside is really it allows you to not be so disappointed that there are some experiences that you may never have Mm. you know i'll probably never you know go to 
the Galapagos or Easter Island. Or some of the turtles, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to. Mm -hmm. I see a movie about it, it's cool. Mm -hmm. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But that's what the escapism of movies is about. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Other people spend their time doing stupid shit, making memes, like being mean to their family, like doing, Mm. you know, there's so many other time wastes that are not as good as enjoying art and like fellowship and just trying not to be a shitty person. Yeah, yeah. You're trying not to be a shitty person, right? As hard as I can, absolutely. Me too, it's hard. I completely agree that being nice is so much better than being mean. Yeah, I, you know, I... You know, I'm, I I don't think I'm the nicest person, but I try really hard to be kind, um, because I think that's a little more needed in the world that we are in. So, how would you like to close out this episode? Can I close out with a joke? Feel free to cut it out if you don't like it. This is the one that I enjoy these days. Like I said, if you want to cut it, then that's fine. What do you think? Oh, please. Of course. All right, so... I was hoping for something movie-related. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, something movie-related. And then the joke. <laughs> should go to the pink smoke tell them the stuff yeah. you got going on right now yeah. has everybody yeah has everybody read Marcus's new uh, article on passion by uh, uh, about by Brian De Palma great great article thank you Marcus for oh, that oh of course we already talked about that last week though. okay More, yeah, yeah, other, yeah. what articles stuff. are coming up that you're excited about yeah. uh, I'm going to write about Highlander finally yeah, I've been writing oh, about the Christopher Land Bear films oh that yeah, I, I, yeah you know I was talking to uh, Chris Funderburg the other after Pink Smoke previous guest. We were talking about like the idea behind it and just how like it, it, that was your idea, right? Mm-hmm. How it just kind of stretches you to it's this whole idea of well, why don't you explain it? What, what like what the whole idea behind it is? Like the Lambert movie and then the sub movie. Oh yeah, well I wanted to do something that was just kind of a completist fantasy and the idea was like I'm going to watch every Christopher Lambert movie and write a review about it because at that time I'd only seen maybe three or four Lambert movies but I was a big fan of it but I wanted to see his greater work so I started that off and it was kind of boring and I thought like write about another movie that's tangentially connected to it somehow either it shares a director or an actor or a theme whatever and so write about the Lambert film and then write about this other film that is sort of related to it and uh that was I had fun, and since then we've had Marcus uh, join on and do some articles for that. We have Kevin Sturton, great writer, do an article for that, and Martin Kessel recently did Mortal Kombat uh, as his uh, Lambert film. He's a big Paul W. S. Anderson fan, so so that's fun. And I'm finally doing Highlander, which is a, the big one, and then oh, and I'm doing uh, David Lynch in Water Imagery, big article about Ooh. that because I've. Uh, Rewatching Holland Drive recently, that's what it struck me. It was like some of the water in that film was interesting. And then, you guys, oh, you're still not watching the new Twin Peaks, are you? No, but we've got plans. Uh, guys, watch it. It's so oh, great. Oh, oh. We, when, we will. Miguel Ferrer, in particular, I'm just thinking, going, like, he's so great. We're going to we're going to marathon it and then podcast it. Awesome. Are you? I, There's I'm so curious. much in there. Dude, marathon. I can't imagine binging on those, like, watching them all, like, within a, ah, you got to stretch them out somehow, man. It's so much. Are you going to, because I'm very curious. Are Same you time, gonna, it's hard to watch just one. Yeah. With, with Highlander, are you going to mention the fact that, you know, you could just start a movie of, oh, I was at a basketball match or, like, I was at a baseball game or something. Are you going to mention, it's not even so much that that Connor was at, uh, um. Phil Madison Square Garden. He wasn't at he was it wasn't so much he was at a wrestling match he was watching the the fabulous Freebirds free evolve it wasn't like because this was like this was hope this was like the mega powers era so he, it could have been like he could Vince McMahon would have been all about it like he these were still territorial southern territorial wrestlers so it's very slightly deep cut that he went to a wrestling match to see the Freebirds I, I love are, that are you yeah, gonna I, t- I you, definitely mentioned it awesome. it's a theme of, of Mokai's um, are you 
You're not a you're not a Highlander two apologist, are you? You know, I actually not seen Highlander two since I was a kid. So that'll be like further it's, down the line. It's check wild, it out again. Yeah, but it's wild. I remember in, enough that it was like, huh? It's wild. <laughs> it's wild in a way that like Southland Tales is wild. You're not. It's not necessarily. For good reasons. Certainly, uh, Michael Ironside's anecdotes from the set are hilarious. I enjoy those very much. So now, let's hear this joke. Let's go eat some Chinese food. Let's do it. This is my favorite one of recent. Uh, the guy walks into a bar. You know, he just he's alone, just wants to watch the game, just chill out, no big deal. He goes to the bar, and he's uh, sitting there drinking, and he turns around. At one point, he notices there's this other guy sitting there drinking alone who has a giant orange head. And he can't believe it. He asks the bartender, what's with that guy? And he says, hey, he's, he's real friendly. Buy him a beer. He will tell you his story. So he says, all right, okay, I'll do that. Uh, buys the guy a beer. Walks over to him. Guy's real friendly. They're sitting there. They're talking for like 20 minutes. They're just, you know, getting along. And so finally he works up the courage. He says, just, I got to know what's with the giant orange head. Guy says, oh, well, I'll tell you what happened. I used to be a beachcomber. You know, I used to take out my, you know... Um, uh, I used to go and comb the beach and uh, my metal detector and find rare stuff. This one time it goes off and I, I pull out this antique lamp. Amazing. I'm thinking I'm going to be fucking rich. And, you know, I'm kind of dusting the sand off. This genie comes out of the lamp. Tells me I have three wishes. Now, this is perfect for me because my whole life I'm thinking, you know, this scenario, I'm thinking this kind of hypothetical situation. I've been thinking about this. So I said, number one, want to be rich, right? And suddenly my wallet is filled with credit cards and, and cash. It, it just it explodes. It's amazing. And then second thing I say, I want to be married to the most beautiful woman in the, on the planet. The seas part. This gorgeous woman walks out. The genie marries us right there. It's beautiful, man. So anyway, so the guy says, well, that's crazy, man. So what, what happened next? He says, well, see, that's where I think I kind of messed up. See, I said for my third wish, I wished for a giant orange head. <laughs> this is a chance, and I want to take it. Now, before I have to kill somebody, for those I know, decide go. Before somebody ices me, decide go. For those I know, decide go. Decide go. During my block time, I got wine. It's older than juice. Peace led the talks, but he's never off. Just lower reduce. Another game of resulting pain when you consummate. While running bases, I learned patience, it was constant weight Nights with cemetery life, survive through the gravest plots Nothing phony here, my only fears, I'm too courageous Hobbs, the praises in my pages, no verses in my line I don't just plant to see, I believe nurses are wrong Grapes are rap, bass and hash, hating how we making cash Be quick in your business, only minutes for the jigs to pass For those that know the side go Never traveled young, but stayed in hostile. Weight triggers black. Figure by now, be a dated fossil. From coldest jungle, hung where all the bulls was humble. When things fell apart, the fellow smart solar crumble. Average sun doula to get established, bomb ruga.